Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of the Game of Loans podcast. Yes, yesterday was Star Wars Day, May the 4th, and to celebrate, I gathered together some of the greatest property stars in the known galaxy. We had Radhika Shah, we had Paul McGee, we had the All Right Investor, Shane Trainer, and the property tax queen, Amy Richardson, along with myself, jumping on a YouTube live Q&A where we discussed all things from best strategies to uh, to look at over the next couple of years, property-wise, as well as what the housing market in the UK looks like it's doing at the moment. And obviously, Amy chimed in with some fantastic tax efficiency answers and advice as well. So really hope you enjoy this episode. Um, would love to hear from you guys, by the way. If you don't follow me over on YouTube, please search for my name, Sam Norris. On YouTube, you'll be able to um, subscribe to my channel over there. You can follow me over on Instagram at the Sam Norris, Twitter at the Sam Norris, and of course, TikTok at the Sam Norris as well. I'm basically the same everywhere. Um, so come say hi, got any questions for me um, on anything to do with property finance or property investing. I would love to hear from you. But anyway, enough of me trying to uh, push all my social media uh, on you. Um, let's just get on with the podcast episode. Enjoy. Them start. Yes, a few seconds. Here we go. We're live. We are live, I think, across LinkedIn and YouTube now. Hopefully everything's worked. Um, we are one property star down in Paul McGee, but he's just uh, he's just rejoined us. So there we go. Um Happy, happy Star Wars Day, everybody, and uh, welcome everyone to the live and my my amazing property stars that I've managed to assemble to answer your your property questions um, this evening. I'm going to go through one by one, bring bring the people up onto the uh, the stage and, and introduce ourselves um, or yourselves, I should say. Um, I guess I'm going to just do it in the order that you guys appear on my right hand side. Is that all right? So you're up first, Amy, if that's all right. Um, welcome to Amy V. Property tax queen, who at the moment is the most Star Warsy amongst all of us, with her awesome Princess Leia hair. Um, so, Amy, I'm just going to drag you in, um, say hi to everyone, and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. So, my name is Amy Richardson, and I am better known as the Property Tax Queen. And yeah, may the fourth be with you. Um, I own an accountancy and tax firm based in Midlands. And we're here to help landlords and property investors and developers pay less tax. So fire away with questions. Awesome, awesome. And I should say as we as we go through this, guys, if any of you have any questions for any of us, um, then please put them into the into the chat. Um, already got a couple of a couple of comments. Um, I see uh, T Chang has already put in a couple of a couple of uh, obligatory flame emojis. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Um, next up. The man, uh, the, the man with the land, uh, Shane Trainer, the All Right Investor. How are we doing, buddy? Jump up, introduce yourself. Very well. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. So my name is Shane Trainer, aka the All Right Investor, and I'm the business development manager for a property development company called New Home Company. And effectively, it's my job to find land, appraise the land, negotiate on the land, as well as do whatever I can to drive growth in the business. Awesome. Awesome. So any questions that any of you guys have got with regards to anything development wise, um, change, change your man and um, yeah, just sourcing land. The amount of conversations I've had with, with Shane and just going through his process of, of how he's finding land is uh, is pretty awesome. So anyone out there that wants to discuss anything development wise, chuck a little comment or a question in the comments and we'll be good to go. But uh, Radhika Shah, you are up the lady with the superhero name, uh, as I say. Um, Radhika, introduce yourself to everyone. Hey, everyone. My name is Radhika. You pretty much um, introduced me, but um, I've been investing for four years. Um, started off in the HMA market, now kind of slowly moving into the buy-to-let market. So I, I also work full-time, if that's helpful for anyone that is watching, because I do a bit of both. So, yeah. 
yeah, very, very difficult to be in this market, in particular, <coughs> investing in property and also have a full-time job. So kudos to, um, to Radhika for that. Last but by no means least, uh, the, the sexiest man in property, Mr. Paul McGee. <laughs> <laughs> how, are we how are we doing, buddy? Uh, like you mind, uh... Did you not say that about me? <laughs> <laughs> I can't say you're the sexiest guy in property, Radhika, okay? That would just be, that would <laughs> no, be not me, Shane. Oh, Shane. Now, he's got the best hair in property. Slight, I'll, I'll take that. He, he's he's sexy from the forehead up, um, and, uh, and and as and as we know, Paul is sexy from the forehead down. So there we go. Um, Paul, jump on, introduce yourself. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah, thanks for that introduction. Um, so yeah, I currently work. <clears throat> you guys know me anyway from forex trading, but I also work full time now. I had to go back to it because I've missed property over the last year. Um, I work as a property broker selling ready-made HMOs and blocks of apartments across the UK. So working with high net worth individuals who largely want to part their cash with ready-made, ready set up HMOs. So they're earning from day one. Um, previously, I used to source properties across the whole of the Northwest really quite successfully, grew a, a strong somehow personal brand um, where I don't know, ended up with one of the largest investor lists probably in the UK for sources. So um, yeah, thank you for having me on. I no feel worries, like the most buddy. inexperienced one here. <laughs> not, yeah. not at all. I can, I can definitely vouch for Paul in, ter in terms of that uh, source, uh, sorry, that investor list, because you and I seem to have uh, daily conversations at the mm -hmm. moment, Paul, in, in terms of discussing sites and whatnot. Um, so I'll quickly introduce myself as well. My name's Sam. I am the owner and director of Grand Union Finance. Um, so we are a, a finance brokerage that specialise in helping property investors and developers raise funding. So if any of you guys have got any funding-related questions or any finance related questions, anything from mortgages, bridging, development finance, commercial mortgages, ETC, um, please chuck them into the comments and um, I'll certainly jump on and answer um, any of those. Now, I was going to, well, we, we, we can make a decision on this, guys. I was going to ask the question just in general about how you guys are feeling about the market at the moment. It's a bit of a weird one. We have got a question already um, that Sue and Claire have asked in the comments directed, I imagine, at Amy, um, all about um, sort of arranging LLPs slash limited companies. We can come on to that in a second. If you guys want to, anyone want to sort of jump in and give their sort of initial opinion on how, how they're feeling about the market at the moment. I feel like throwing my laptop out the window on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> is that just because you're struggling to find sites and stuff at the moment, mate? Um, well, sites is okay because I've um, sites is it's, it's coming to me at the moment because I've built some good relationships with some land and new homes. But I, I get um, I, I I do a lot of sourcing for properties as well for the MD for his own personal portfolio, and I'm finding just how bonkers the the property market is at the moment with people paying well over above um what the property is worth and i've, I've had a, i've had a chat with probably six agents over the course of um uh about six weeks now let's say and i've said i've just asked them the same question say like when uh people or uh potential buyers are putting in offers for houses and you know they're going to get downvalued do you tell them that they're going to get downvalued and their answer was a few of them were like, yeah, a few of them were like, yeah, sometimes we do. Um, and we just kind of, we hope that the valuers will, will accept it and they'll get the lending on it. And I'm like, well, that, that's outrageous because what, what happens is when it gets downvalued and it comes back on the market, what happens is it goes to the next highest buyer, which is still higher than what it's valued at. And it's just, it's wrong what's happening. And it's like, but as an investor, don't get me wrong, there's still deals out there. You can still find them, but it's becoming a lot, has become a lot harder I've found and there's, there's yeah it's agents of, I'm finding not every agent this isn't I'm saying every agent's you know bad but they need to start educating the vendors a bit and telling them like that offers a bit too high and and saying to the the owner of the properties as well and say like look we, we can't market it at, at this level because it's going to get downvalued which is going to take longer to sell it so that's sort yeah. of my, my two cents do you know what? I um, I can jump in on that, actually, because one thing that I've obviously noted from I, I see it from my side because I'm, I'm working with clients that are buying properties and then we're getting to valuation stage. And I'm, I'm basically saying at the moment between one agent is saying a property is worth to what a surveyor is saying a property is worth at the moment is probably like a five to 10 percent gap in some instances, Easy. a lot, a lot more. And the, the reason why that happens is because we're in such an upward trending market and because the transaction numbers up until probably the last couple of months have been so bloody high. What's happening is, is we're seeing that 
um, by the time the um, you know the, the sales are then going through, the valuers are looking back in time. They're looking at what has already sold. But unfortunately, some of the sales that have happened you know in the last few few, few weeks and maybe even a couple of months aren't actually on land registry yet. So there's such a massive disparity in in such an upward trending market, um, and that, I think that's that's where we're seeing that issue when it comes to um, to valuations and stuff like that. Um, anyone else got any thoughts on on the market, or is uh, a shame pretty much in. made us made us all feel <laughs> shit? <laughs> Go on, Radica. I'll jump in, but like it's exactly what you both have said. There's a massive disconnect between the expectations of what a vendor is wanting to sell at compared to what the valuers are. And having looking back at data when we were going through the re, uh, refinance on the buy to let, it doesn't really matter like what anyone else values. It's whatever else is on the market. So if someone's desperately trying to sell, they're going to put it on at whatever they think is a fair offer. But then if if valuers are already seeing, okay, the market's already 5 or 10% higher, then they're just automatically going to downvalue each and other property, even if that one's a fair fair valuation of that particular property which is where the kind of the disconnect happens is where is the truth are people just like where is the overpricing being taken from is it from a fair bad like fair offer or is it from people wanting to buy properties and investing and parking their money in so yeah that that's like my two cents and there's no real clear like definition of what it is yeah i know it's a it's a tough market at the moment and i mean Paul, you were obviously saying before that um, you've obviously got quite a lot of um, investors at the moment and you're, you know, up and down the country looking looking for property. In terms of how you're finding deals at the moment in quite a tricky market, how, how are you kind of finding things? Yeah, um, the deals come to me, which is quite lucky. But if I was out starting again from scratch, I would see it as quite a difficult market. I think generally speaking, once you get your head around the fact that it's a supply and demand feed at the moment and it's fear and greed, there is a disconnect, I believe, with valuers. Um, so, you know, mortgage lenders, things like that. Um, generally speaking, you're finding that investors are paying a top up. So a bit of a gap between the lendable value of a property and how much the market perceives the property to be worth. Okay, so like to give you a, a basic example, let's say that the vendor um, and the general market believe that a property is worth 100,000 on the market. The lender may come in and say we're only willing to lend up to eighty thousand, which means that there's going to be a twenty thousand gap, which is usually paid for a top up um, straight to the vendor. So the actual buyer is paying not just a um, the deposit of the mortgage, which in that case would be twenty grand. They're also paying an additional twenty grand on top. But the thing is, is when you look at the market cycle, so um, property market potentially as well, but general market cycles is that when you get something like this, um, a lot of people consider it as a bit of a spike. But the truth is, is that the new market value is today's market value. It's, you know, the lenders need to catch up. And that's generally, from my understanding, what's happened in the past. It's not a case of property going to crash all the way down to where we think is acceptable. It's down to where the lenders are going to catch it. And it's probably going to be higher than what most people are expecting. So, you know, the whole economy of the UK is built on property. So if there are people there looking to buy investment properties and they're looking to pay over the odds um, in accordance to what a lender would perceive, it's going to continue to grow. Yeah. I, do you know what? It's funny, actually, because I was um, I was talking to somebody recently about this, that um, we, we I do a lot of refinancing sort of post refurb work um, and lenders, obviously, uh, uh, we've had we've had this kind of like weird invisible six month rule for a while. So you can't refinance property before it's reached six months worth of ownership, um, particularly not at open market value. And there's a select number of lenders that will do it. What amazes me still is, and this is, you know, how lenders will say the market is the market effectively, which is like their get out of jail free card for everything, um, is that if the property um, has been bought genuinely below market value, and there are reasons why a property might be bought genuinely below market value, they won't revalue it at open market value unless they can actually see proof of work being done. And I've never understood this. The, it, it, it's the easiest thing in the world. You just send a RICS qualified surveyor to the property and tell them to give them give it an open market value in the current market. It's as simple as that. And and I just I just don't personally understand that myself. And it's similar to what you were saying, Paul, in terms of you know, there's just this, this disconnect at the moment. Um, I do think that um, that we're possibly one, maybe two um, 
base rate rises away from mortgage rates being enough to tip the scale a little bit um in not in favor of of buyers because that won't ever happen but you know what i mean um just be enough to reduce the 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 available credit down just that little bit that will that will maybe stabilize the the market a little bit i'm um, i'm conscious of the fact that we haven't come to our our um our princess lair lookalike uh, amy richardson yet for her opinion of the of the market did you want to uh, um chime in amy or i do have a question that has been uh, put in our comments for you specifically if you wanted to answer that instead yeah i mean just chipping in on the market side of things so um a lot of our clients now especially the the property deal sourcing clients they are well the one guy said to me most of the deals that he's sourcing they are at, at market value um does it really exist at the moment below market value so he's kind of pitching to investors um with that in mind so it's very um obvious that you know that that's the kind of issue that everyone's facing at the moment and it's a case of buy something if it's buy to let buy something that doesn't need a lot of work and it's kind of off the shelf um and you know what your roi is etc but yeah there doesn't seem to be a lot of opportunity for uh, good deals at the moment and particular in particular flips um i see a lot of people struggling to get flips as well um so yeah it's uh it's a, a funny old business, isn't it? But going on to LLP or limited company for service accommodation then. So I guess let's start by saying, so an LLP for anyone listening is a limited liability partnership and limited company is a completely, completely separate legal entity. Now, when it comes to service accommodation, actually there's less incentive to become a limited company and push it through there. Whereas buy to let, you can't reclaim the mortgage interest in your own name. Um, and then that's basically everyone puts them into a limited company these days. Well, actually serviced accommodation, as long as it fits the um, furnished holiday let rules, then there's less incentive to actually go limited um, with that business idea. And the fact that you've got an LLP and a limited company and service accommodation means that you can claim the capital allowances. Now, in some instances, it is better to have an LLP and claim the capital allowances for some clients. Um, and in some cases, a limited company is a better structure because there's other deciding factors that tip it that way for them. Um, but yeah, I guess from a tax perspective, uh, an LLP is treated completely different to a limited company. So an LLP is taxed transparently. So even though it's a partnership, actually it's taxed, taxed sorry, on the individuals. So if you have a higher rate taxpayer and a basic rate taxpayer, you can uh, construct that partnership to the appropriate partnership uh, apportionment levels so that you pay less tax overall. However, you can still achieve the same result in a limited company by putting in a bespoke share structure so it's <laughs> unfortunately in tax the answer is it always it depends and it depends on what the client's goals are um what they're trying to achieve and what their current status is so are they both basic rate taxpayers are they both high rate taxpayers have they already got property have they got commercial property do they just want to do service accommodation is it only one service accommodation they want to do is the multiple so you can see that with all these different factors coming into play, depends on what the answer is for that client. But specifically for service accommodation, it's not going to make too much difference um, in terms of you know the the P and L side of it, so the profit and loss side. Whereas if it was a buy to let um, on the tax side, then that's when you would most likely put the properties in a limited company if you're a high rate taxpayer. So I hope that helped. Um, yeah interesting anyway. stuff can i can i ask i, I i'm interested in I, I want to ask this question um because i know what i say to my clients now obviously i always have to say to my clients i'm not a tax advisor um, it, i have always have to chuck, chuck in the little line it's my understanding that before i say anything tax tax wise but um one thing i talk to my clients a lot about is if if when should they potentially incorporate if they do at all is there like a sort of a, a hard and fast rule about this is the time to incorporate your portfolio and on the flip on the back of that as well how hard is it when you already have a property in your personal name 
to then incorporate it. I'm interested in your in your thoughts on those two things. Well, uh, considering my my battery's about to die, my laptop, my charger's broke. I'll try and do this very very quickly. Okay, um, if we leave, we'll have to move on to something very quickly. <laughs> I'll try and rejoin my phone if it does go. Um, so why would you use a limited company in the first place? Well, the first protocol, as mentioned, is if you're a high rate taxpayer and you've never invested in property before, but you're deciding to do it now, then it makes sense to use a limited company because you're going to pay less tax overall because something called Section 24 came in years ago, whereas you used to be able to claim the mortgage interest uh, in your own name, um, but you can't do that anymore. So it's more beneficial to put into a limited company. Uh, other reasons why you, why you might use a limited company, um, for example, if you want to grow a massive property empire, then you're going to be way better off starting off in a limited company because, in my view, you should always start with the end in mind. So if you just want a couple of properties, you know, two to three, maximum five buy to let, you're a basic rate taxpayer, don't even bother. Um, just keep it in your own name. Um, but if you're a high rate taxpayer, you want, you know, quite a big property empire, then you really should look at a limited company. And there's advantages to that limited company in the sense of you choose when you pay that tax. So you choose when you want to withdraw a dividend. If you decide you don't want to do that and you just put the buy to lets in, let the cash uh, build up, you can then purchase more property without having to pay double tax. And what I mean by double tax is, You've paid corporation tax in the limited company vehicle, currently 19%, due to go up to 25%, but that's a story for a different day. Um, so you've paid that tax already. So actually, if you wanted to withdraw the money, then you'd have to pay income tax. But if actually, if you're going to invest in more property, you don't need to withdraw the money, you've already got in business, so you can recycle that money a lot quicker and grow your portfolio a lot faster by using a limited company. If you did it in your own name and your profits start to creep up into the higher rate tax bracket, you're paying tax at 40, 45% in some cases, um, effective rate of tax for some high rate taxpayers because of section 24 or buy to let tax. Um, we've seen it anywhere north of 100% just because of the way the calculations work out. So it definitely pays to, to put in a limited company if that's your situation. If you've already got a property portfolio, and I mean a substantial portfolio, and that is all that you do, so you run it as a property business legitimately, uh, i.e. you spend more than 20 hours a week, um, you meet other criteria, there's some tax legislation that says, actually, so if, if for example, you did the partnership to a limited company route, then there's potential to do that transfer of properties without paying SDLT or triggering, triggering capital gains tax. Now, in reality, that is quite difficult to do. If you have one property, a couple of buy-to-lets, and you've got a day job, then it probably doesn't make sense to transfer those properties into a limited company because you will trigger off SDLT um, and, and CGT, and it becomes expensive. And what I always say to clients is, it's great you're going to save tax, for example, but also speak to your lawyer, speak to your mortgage advisor, because there's all of the, the refinancing costs and everything else that comes into play. So it is doable. But I think a lot of people think it's it's super easy, um, but it's not. And we have to, you know, when we're looking at a client case, we literally have to get all the facts around us, apply that to the legislation to come out with a likely answer of, you know, what we think is possible. So yeah, again, it's not a clear answer. It is doable, but you have to you have to be very strong if you come up against HMRC, um, if they challenge anything on that front. I guess the answer to the question really is it's very much down to personal circumstances, right, Amy? Yeah, it's like anything in tax. There's, there's never a one-size-fits-all. Um, so what may be, uh, yes, you can incorporate and potentially not pay SDLT and potentially not pay CGT for one client could be an out astounding no for another. And it's purely based on that. So how many properties are they actually working in the business? Is there somebody else involved? There's all these different factors that actually play into that part and as to 
whether it's actually doable for that client or not. And like I said, always, always um, speak to your mortgage advisor and, and everybody else involved in that transaction because um, it is costly. Um, sometimes we get cases where a client, it, it makes sense for them to pay the little bit of tax of the SDLT or, or the CGT to just get them in because actually over the long term, um, the cost benefit analysis says, yeah, okay, you know, it's more of a benefit for me to pay the tax now and recuperate it in the future. Um, yeah, it's always down to client circumstances, more than likely. Awesome. And you didn't uh, run out of battery, so that was also a, an added added benefit. Um, so cheers for that, Amy. Thanks for asking, answering the um, the question from Sue and Claire in the comments as well. Um, so quickly before um, I go, we, we carry on. Um, we we all of us have sort of put question uh, question boxes in our stories over on Instagram. Did anyone get any uh, questions that they wanted to to bring to the table apart from asking whether Paul has OnlyFans, of course, <laughs> which was the first question that I received. <laughs> I did get a legit one. Did, did get you? one, did get one. Well, look, I did. Look, come come to the stage, ask. We, we shall we shall provide answers. We shall. Cool. Okay. So um this came in from uh Ryan Taylor from RMT Properties and he put Would you rather sacrifice some profit with a deal or stick to your guns for the fifteen to twenty percent? And my view on that is I'd rather sacrifice the deal. And the, my reason for that is because anything less than 20% on a development is too risky in my opinion and um, not just that the fact that you need 20% uh, in the profit um, for a lender to even if you are going down the institutional finance route for a lender to even give you lending um, development finance and all that sort of stuff so I would yeah I'd I'd negotiate the offer for it to work for me at a minimum of 20% but you know if anything goes wrong, like there's a downturn in in the market or you know material hikes at the moment, the costs are going insane. That's going to eat into your profit very quickly. Now, you know, buying properties can be a relatively safer game. Like you know, you hold for the long term, and you know you can go through market just by holding on to them if you do it correctly and safely. But with developments, if you don't calculate them correctly, um, they can either make you or break you. Uh, you know, so many developers go bankrupt. Um, it's insane. Um, so that was that's so yeah, I would pass on the deal. That that'd be my answer. Cool. I'm interested to get um Radica's view on this actually, because obviously you're you guys are kind of opposite ends really, because you're doing the, the development stuff, Shane, and you're a portfolio builder, Radica. So what what's your kind of thoughts on that? I I what was the first bit? Was <laughs> I missed the first bit. Go on, Shane, I'll let you, you read were, it. You were asleep, Radica. <laughs> no, I was trying to listen, but I just I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was it the, what was the question or what was my answer to the question no what was the question i heard your answer and then yeah so then. cool so the question was would you rather sacrifice some profit with with a deal that you find or stick to your guns for the 15 20 percent i don't know if i'm being stupid, but i don't really understand the first bit like what would you mean sacrifice the profit as in like not go with the deal yeah, like sacrifice, like basically go out with like ten percent ten percent profit. Which, what would you do ten percent on a development? You'd want a minimum twenty percent, right? It really depends, like on what the situation is and where you are in the property market. If you're, if it's in a situation like this, then I probably would look at it and figure out, like, is the fifteen twenty percent going to be better than not having a deal for like the next six months? Like, how much capital is involved? Where is my positioning? How much access do I have to finance? Um, and so like all of those combined, I probably would look at it for a buy to let or maybe not HMO, but yeah, definitely for a buy to let, um, especially within this market. But it kind of just all stacks to kind of, you know, what the lending is against it, how much deposit is it? Is it really worth, can, can I put my money into something else that's gonna give me 15, 20% or do I want to kind of stick it into a property Sorry, that was such a fluffy answer, but like, there's so many factors involved. Do you know what? Yeah. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say something really similar to that. Yeah. That I get so many, so many clients that. Um, so I'll jump back in. There was, I, I have so many clients that just they always find a reason to not do that deal. It's almost like sometimes they're scared, especially newbies that are, are, are that first one, two properties. They they're looking for the perfect deal, and especially in this market, you 
to a certain extent, I don't know if you, you agree, um, Radhika, you kind of almost have to take what you can get. Um, you, you either make a decision to go for it and work with the market or take a little bit of a sabbatical. Is 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 that kind of what you were getting at? Can I add one more thing? Sorry. I think 100%. just something that you just said is we constantly compare our deals to everyone on social media. So whatever numbers they're putting on, whether it's inflated or not inflated, as a newbie investor, you're never going to get good as deals of people who've been in this game for like 10, 15 years, or even if like the last three years, you're just not going to be as good as them in finding deals or what your current situation is. So we're constantly comparing our numbers and be like, okay, maybe like 15% isn't good because someone else is getting 45% that they've put. But in reality, you don't even know what the truth is. Um, so I think you need to assess your situation. Is it what, what are you going to do without this deal? Like, is there something else in your pipeline that's going to replace that deal? Or are you just going to sit there and kind of like say this on every single deal that you're going to have come through and waste everyone's time? Makes perfect sense. So I was going to ask Paul to jump in as well, because obviously, Paul, you're analysing deals like every day and you're talking to multiple investors on a daily basis. Are you, how are you finding in terms of your investors viewing some of the deals that you're putting in front of them are they being realistic or are they actually going Do you know what the market is pretty crap at the moment let's let's take what we can get yeah i think from the last maybe few days where i've spoken to probably about 100 investors um i think generally speaking the guys who i speak to in particularly at the property advantage have their head on their shoulders correctly like they can see the value in the deal so they're looking to part their cash in the deal um going back maybe a year ago when i was still doing the single let sourcing for myself um i could see so much of a difference between certain investors where their fear was coming in so they were anticipating a drop in the market two years ago when we had covid hit and then they were anticipating a drop in the market last year when we'd come out of covid now, other people in the single let areas, which I still dabble into, are anticipating a drop in the market. And they're all just sat on the sidelines, picking up nothing, while the big boys step in and take everything and drive the price up even further. So it's, it's literally is the more experienced investors tend to just get stuck in and understand this is just part of a cycle. You know, it's part of like, you know, it's almost like averaging down into a market. So yeah, it's, it really does depend who you're talking to, but where I'm dealing largely with HMO buyers and uh, basically people looking at larger portfolios, looking in the millions, they're not fussed really. You know, it's like, oh, what's the yield at the moment? Oh, it's eight and a half percent. Last year I could have got nine and a half percent, but they're not saying like, you know what, I'm just not going to put it into a cash either. They're still going for it. You know? And that's personally, I think the best thing to do, just keep going. Um, you know, at some point, you know, it might be in the future, you might be able to get a 17% yield. I can't say if it was a good idea or not, but you just keep buying, you know, just buy. If the opportunity's there, go get it, um, you know, or pass up and let someone else profit from it. If it's going to make profit, do it. Do you know what? Um, Raj is actually, our good friend Raj uh, is watching. Hey, Raj, how are we doing? She, hey. She's made a really good comment on, um, uh, on what Radhika said, which is actually that, in, in terms of in terms of how the market is, if your if your strategy is to buy and hold, and and you're looking at long term, you know, cash flowing uh, portfolios, then actually, if you're not making a yield right this very second, does it you know does it really matter because you're holding for the long term anyway, right? So I, I'm guessing. I mean, obviously, I know I've spoken to quite a few of your your clients, uh, Paul. So I know um, that they are a lot of them are looking for the long term. So I guess yeah, the comment Rogers made there is pretty much spot on, right? Yeah, I would certainly say so. I certainly agree with that as well. It's, you know, at the end of the day with property, like generally property is a long-term game. If you're in it for short term, like it's the same if you dabble in the stock market. If you're in there for the short term, you get burnt fingers, you know. Uh, so just remember, it's a long-term investment. The only instance where I would caveat that, actually, my whole answer is that if I have several opportunities on the table at the same time for the same price, um, but then there's all the varying factors of where is it going to be, what's the demand like, and so on and so forth. But in reality, um, supply and demand is what drives the market. doesn't matter what market it is. You know, In this case, we're talking property. It's supply and demand. It's fear and greed. Um, 
Yeah, uh, sorry, I, I just saw another one of the questions on there as well about the reason for the disconnect, and then we kind of went past it, and then would you mind? Yeah, I was, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna sort of bring bring that up. I thought it might be sort of circling back to what we were discussing before, but yeah, jump in, mate. It, it kind of coincides with what what I was just saying then about fear and greed. Um, look at what's happening in the world at the moment. We've had the coronavirus situation. We've got, I think, less people looking to move for work. There's a lot more uncertainty. Um, we've got the war going on, uh, which could potentially get absolutely massive. Um, when there's less people looking to move, there's less stock available. So there's less supply in the market, but the demand is bigger than ever because our rates, which we get in the UK, are much better than what you get in China. They're much better than what you get in, well, pretty much everywhere else. Um, we are still the safe haven for investments. So there's so much foreign investment coming into the UK. There's so much like British investment as well. Uh, where people are diverting money from their businesses into property. Um, I'm seeing that happen all the time, but it's fear and greed. There's less availability on the market, which means that when there's a lack of supply, um, the demand is just forever going to grow. And when there's more demand, there's more price. Um, you know, one day, if we ever come into a situation where there's too much supply, that's when prices start to go down. Um, but I don't see that happening anytime soon because we're going to have to divert our money into, uh, into the war. Circling back a little bit onto what something you said previously, actually, Paul, which has just popped into my head, which is you were talking a little bit about um, the. Um, I'll jump back up on. Um, you were talking a little bit about the um, how kind of the, the rich, if you like, even in this kind of market, they're kind of not getting that bothered about the difference in one or two or three percent in terms of return on investment or a yield or something like that. It, it got me to thinking about um, how the rich invest as as a as a sort of a differentiator to how not the poor invest, but the kind of like the, the newbie, the newbie kind of course educated type portfolio builders yeah. go about thinking about things as you've actually got. I mean, I, I say all the time, if you look down the, the, the times rich list, 90% of the people that are on there are there because of real estate and because they've parked money in real estate. They're, they're famous for, for, for growing a business or having some kind of other income stream, but they take that money and they park it long term into real estate, which is ultimately why they end up on the, the Times Rich list. So could we or could the, the, the many of the people watching this learn from the, the rich that actually... The best thing to do is is to think that think long term. Don't worry about the the one percent here, the two percent there. It's actually more about just stockpiling something that is ultimately we know on average going to double every seven to ten years in value, as well as actually making us some money. And I can see Radhika wave, waving her hand uh, down there, so I'll bring you up. I, I don't know why I was trying to do it on my laptop. <laughs> like, <the year. laughs> um. Just something that you guys reminded me of is like when we were trying to sell the HMO, like we were getting like high end offers because people just wanted to park their money in. They weren't looking at uh, whether this is the right strategy for, for people like us or compared to like the, the riches of the rich. Um, you just using it as a cash offer, they were going to put in a cash offer until they they can afford to get lending or whenever the banks want to lend it. So even if they are like, and this is where the greed and things like that come from, they need somewhere to park their money. So they would just come in with cash offers. And for people like us who have to like, or for people like me, um, who have to leverage on banks and things like that, and to get lending and mortgages and things like that, I don't have that opportunity to be flexible. Whereas I think some of these cash investors who are looking to park their money, they can be flexible, they can put in a few more thousand pounds compared to, to me with well, I'm going to have to fork out that money. So yeah, I think there might maybe a slight disconnect there in terms of like Paul saying like the greed side because they just need someone to park their money. Do you think off the back of that, um, Radhika, that actually the, the, a bigger, like a maybe, maybe better investment strategy is actually not to be super focused on just the property side, like many of the course educators talk about and actually maybe look at, creating sources of income that you can then put into buying the long-term income generating assets very sort of uh rich dad poor dad-esque if you like yeah i think it really depends what you do in property like my strategy is not a get rich quick scheme whereas someone who i'm just going to throw it out there like this is not true at all this is just my opinion but someone who's looking at like the sourcing side where they're kind of building up like the sourcing side on a high level, not just buying a 100k property or not sourcing a 100k property, but I'm talking about half a million to 
a million, two million, etc. Those people who are looking to get not quick rich schemes, but compared to buying and holding for the long term, like their strategies are very much different to what my strategy is. Um, and even on the flip side as well. So for me, it's about parking my money in the little money that I have is parking it into a property where I know over time it's going to be and so in the meantime and which is why I haven't really bought any anything in like the last couple of months or even looked at property in the last couple of months because I'm like how else can I make money where I can just be like okay and this might be the wrong strategy and I'm probably going to get loads of people coming after me about this comment but how else can I generate quick amount of deposit to put into a property where I know I can go to certain places and I can get something for like between 20 and 30k as a deposit um, and park my money in that way and I'm not doing it as like I'm going to work really hard and save I'm trying to find other streams of income to help me get to that 20k quicker whether it's through an investor or something that I've created on my own but creating a business that's going to allow me to have massive amounts of money so yeah <laughs> um you said the word investor what's your what's your thoughts on on using a a private investor or maybe even a jv partner um is it something that you've actually done before yourself yeah and i'm i think this is a fear in my head because i absolutely like i it's a like what's the word like bittersweet um that's what i was trying to look like sometimes like yes absolutely i'm trying to help someone but it's not as easy as everyone says says it is to be there's a lot you have to prove um you you got to justify your credibility your trust within someone are you investable like uh, you know if you spoke to me three years ago i wasn't someone that you would want to invest in i didn't really have anything to invest in like you wouldn't want to invest in me but over time like i have become invested and people do reach out to me and, and ask me for investment but I'm very picky and kind of just kind of like wanting to figure out you know what is the best option I don't want to work with everyone um so I'm very like I'm quite fortunate that I can just be really super picky but they do help accelerate your portfolio as long as you have an understanding and you can definitely pay their money back especially within this market and I think it's so easy to throw out there sorry I'm saying like a million and one things but right now in this market you've got to think about how to pay your investor back because if you get a down valuation where is that extra 10 20 30 50k going to come from yeah and i know that there's a lot of people out there that will have a, a sort of a hybrid strategy if you like where they will have they'll, they'll flip properties to pay their investors back to allow them to you know take mm -hmm. the, the the lower roi deals that paul was talking about earlier on or shane was talking about earlier on um you know because they don't have that that issue in terms of paying their uh, their investors back. Shade, I know you kind of kicked off this question, but did you did you have anything you wanted to circle back and, and add to it? Um, with in terms of the investors or the property? yeah yeah yeah, jump on in terms of talking about investors. I know that obviously you're in terms of what you do within the new homes group. It's not necessarily your job to go out and find investors and stuff, but is it something that um, that you and your business partners and stuff have, have utilized in the past? Yeah, so that that is actually part of one of my roles is to find investment. Um, oh, is it? Oh, so, sorry, sorry. <laughs> turns out I did zero homework for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just one of my many skills as a Jedi. Um, so, um, oh. yeah, we we use uh, investors on. So the barn conversion we're currently doing, we, we've used um, two investors. Uh, so um, my MD has put in some of his own uh, money, and also the two investors have put their own money in, and it splits. Split three ways, um, and it's done on a, a sort of like a, a joint venture basis, you know, within an STV. Um, and you know, we we are open to doing um, more like uh, on like an interest rate, but you know, we we're of the idea of let's let's give more of of a reward to people that 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 want to you know give give some money to investment. So we're happy to share the pie, if you will. We, we're happy to do that because. And the meet people that we're meeting at, you know, we set up the developers network, and that was one of the reasons as well was to to get nice to get plug, investment in our, in nice our plug. yeah <coughs> developers <laughs> network. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, we 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 haven't done it in a, in a in an interest way yet, but um, definitely a joint venture equity way, and it seems to work, and people are happy with the returns because, and if you, if you put money in yourself as well, and at the end of the project you wasn't getting as much investment as you would like, at least you, you've all got that um, to deal with, and it's not just 
you don't have to worry about that to a degree because you, you've also put your own money in so they can see that you, you're sharing the less profit or the loss or the break even or the win. Yeah, do you know what? It's funny because you, you mentioned earlier on in terms of um, analysing deals. Um, I'll jump back in. You were talking about analysing deals earlier on and institutional funders wanting to see a certain amount of uh, profit margin to, to mm-hmm. make sure that the deal is worthwhile. It's the same, basically is the, the same sort of thing that we're, we're discussing there is just making the whole whole thing kind of kind of stack up. And but the, on, on the flip side, as you said, institutional lenders, as much as investors, they take a little bit of comfort in you putting your own skin in the game. Um, it's incredible, actually, how many kind of I do a lot of development finance and how many development finance lenders that you think would be pretty flexible that if you don't, if you show that you're not putting any, not one single penny in yourself, actually don't want to do the deal. So if you're, you know, borrowing 70% of GDV or something on a development finance deal, and then the remainder of whatever you need to put in and deposit or whatever it might be is coming from a, um, a separate investor that isn't a JV partner, actually some of these lenders will just say, well, no, because we're putting skin in the game, they're putting skin in the game, where's your um, you know, where's your skin in the game? And that yeah. can actually cause a problem as well. Cool, cool. So look, um, before we before we move on, we've only got about 15 minutes left. This has gone really, really quickly. <laughs> for, well, it has for me. It I has. don't know if you guys have, uh, have thought the same. Just to say to anyone watching, if you do have any questions that you want to you want to ask any of us, just drop them in the comments um, and I'll, I'll pick them out and, uh, and we can we can answer them as we go. Um, also, of course, don't forget to uh, to follow everyone on uh, on on Instagram. The all the different handles should be running across the bottom of the screen, all like just like magic, um, as we um, <laughs> as as I say it. Um, I've got um, a quick kind of question, which I know is a real kind of like open ended. Everyone's asking these questions. It generally this is like the kind of thing that gets asked at the beginning of a year, and we're kind of halfway through, um, but property strategies at the moment everyone's talking about oh buy to let it buy to let is dead um everyone's saying oh hmo is dead because you now can't buy hmos anywhere because of article four what are we seeing is like popular kind of left field strategies that have come to coming about at the moment that maybe weren't there two three years ago that you think are going to be pretty successful over the next 12 18 months or so anyone want to chime in oh sorry oh sorry i was gonna say go on amy yeah so I have seen an increase in buy-to-let landlords converting their properties into a so converting them into a furnished holiday let or serviced accommodation. Um, a lot of it is tax-driven as well, um, but from a commercial standpoint, the profit that you can make from uh, serviced accommodation units compared to a buy-to-let is, you know, in some cases astronomical, depending on where it is in the UK. So I've definitely seen a lot more um, serviced accommodation, even rent to rent serviced accommodation clients coming on um, in the past six months or so. Uh, and then the rest of them tend to be portfolio landlords. Um, but, but even out of the portfolio landlords, um, there, there are a couple that have seen the opportunity um, to, to convert their, their um, buy to lets into SA. So I've definitely seen a, a hike on that side. I'm not sure if you, if you see that on the investor side um if anyone could add comments to that i know you jumped yeah. in straight away paul didn't you i was literally just about to say sa um two years ago when it was the start of the lockdown i said to everybody get into sa if you're involved in property get in sa because we're not going to be going abroad you know um we're, we're finding out ourselves aren't we sam shane um mm. we're trying to book uh, a place <laughs> to stay in cardiff in a couple of weeks so if anyone's got an sa unit in cardiff going relatively cheap yeah in two hello weekends, yeah yeah we'll book it um we'll do we'll do an instagram live in there and promote your essay for you. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah pretty much um i've just noticed the comments box as well by the way so yeah uh, we literally just had something in there from raj saying commercial to resi like exactly i think essay short term commercial to resi is literally um medium longer term like you've got to think realistically with property like like i said before property is a long-term game um, short term, for sure, SA is going to help you massively with cash flow. But if you want to build something to last for the future, you know, commercial to resi, and then the resi can turn into SA, at least for a short term, then back to standard residential. Cool. You've got something which is really, really long term. Look at um, just look at the places where other people aren't, you know, just be smart. 
Do you know what? I am I'm I'm desperate to do a commercial to Resi. I'm desperate to do one with Shane. I keep telling Shane, one day me and you are going to do a commercial to Resi conversion. I love I I love funding yeah. them. I like finding the finance for them because they're um they're they're actually surprisingly easy to not so easy to fund. Um they are because so I actually lived for a short time in a in a commercial to resi conversion in North London in Barnet. Um and it was, was that I when you were squatting. That's when I was squatting. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks for that, mate. <laughs> um no, it was um one thing I noticed though, so this is one of the reasons why a lot of lenders quite like this this type of strategy, is that the um the commercial I'm sure I'm right in this. If someone in the comments wants to tell me wants to correct me, the the sort of the, the level of kind of things like insulation and utilities and whatnot for commercial buildings is actually the standard has to be very, very high. So when I lived in in, in one of these, I think I lived in there, I lived there for about 14 months. I turned my heating on once the entire time I was there. Um it was it was incredibly well insulated. So these types of offices particularly are actually you know they're absolutely amazing for for, conver for converting and actually they don't cost as much as maybe converting some other types of buildings um but the the one thing that i'll say as well is actually a lot of a lot of my clients are actually doing this and they're holding those properties whereas before they would kind of be built to sell whereas i think a lot of people now are building to hold um represents its own potential issues because we've then got to find on with lenders at the end to, to refinance the whole thing um but yeah i, I agree with raj i love love commercial to resi um but anyone else got any other kind of strategies they want to discuss or, or jump in on the commercial to resi stuff or the sa stuff it's got planning gain as well which is um it's it's not a, a like a cash flow i totally agree with what you said paul in terms of the uh like you know you stop something for cash flow is sa what, what amy said and yourself uh but um a, a slightly different strategy which not many people are doing is like planning gains of finding something it could even be a planning gain to a commercial to residential conversion to finding buildings uh disused offices um and like because you've got permitted development rights where you don't necessarily need planning it's just prior approval 56 days notice to the council obviously there is some certain things go through okay um but yeah you can just get planning gain on it or do an option with with the with the owner of the building to get planning gain and then sell it sell it to a developer with the option and the planning gain um and get a good fee for it and that's happening a lot and people are making you know large chunks of cash at the moment doing that do you know it's funny that you bring that up uh because i was talking to somebody a couple of months ago at the developers network in birmingham which is where you you co-host with steve um and what they do is they're quite um they've got they're quite good in the agricultural community and they're um they're getting options on agricultural land they're getting they're removing the agricultural ties which as we know is is quite problematic they're then splitting the site down into smaller chunks um sometimes getting the planning sometimes not and then doing the basics like you know getting the the utilities in and that sort of stuff and then selling those sites and and they they talked me through some of their numbers and they were absolutely astronomical that's just thinking outside the box just doing something a little bit creative which you know as you say the planning game thing's a great idea if you if you know how to do it 100 percent, yeah and just uh just for ben's comment there definitely check out the developers network birmingham if you want to get involved in property development i mean there is people there too that talk about hmos and biosolets but it is more development focused but uh we welcome everybody with open arms yeah did it did um, i mean look between i think i've seen every one of us i don't i think the only person i've not met at, at, a, at a, an event so far is probably you amy but um anyone else want to chime in on any particular events that they think are, are worth mentioning doesn't necessarily need to be your own or or maybe not even one that you've been to but i know i've been to quite a few and i agree that there's a lot that are quite samey and boring um any anyone that's done or been to any any decent events they can recommend to people other than obviously the property developers network in birmingham yeah, yeah. there is oh sorry oh, sorry you well, go first um so i went to the sad hussein property meet um i've been to that a couple of times now and that's really good actually um i've met quite a few contacts there um investors uh, people just generally are there to learn as well but the main thing for me is that it has really good speakers on um which have built up generally they've built up their own business and then gone into property um, and there's a lot to learn um from the likes of, i think yeah, neville wright uh, there there's another guy last time he was really good so yeah check that one out the saj hussein um 
he's also on YouTube as well, so uh, you may want to go and watch some of his videos. That's not a plug for him, by the way. I was going to say, how much is he paying you? <laughs> no, no, his events are a good. Go to Pin um, Property Investors Network. Well, I haven't made it to that one, and it sounds like I better get my bum to the Property Developers Network pretty soon. Otherwise, I won't be Absolutely. on for longer. <laughs> uh, absolutely yeah you're not coming on the next one unless you come along <laughs> paul you paul you were going to mention mention something sorry yeah um small plug but the place where i'm working at, at the moment um we're doing the hmo flip consultancy it's a two-day event um on the 12th or the 13th of may uh, and that's going to be in shirley so uh that's oh, basically just... where you going to be learning a lot of road for me awesome it is man hope to see you there um, definitely grab a beer 100%. yeah oh absolutely <laughs> and that's for anybody who goes um it is a paid event but literally contact me and i can get you a pretty damn good deal um but essentially there's all sorts does, it, of does the deal end in a seven uh, it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> none of them do <laughs> um, but no it's, it's with true hmo experts you're going to be meeting some of my clients there as well which is pretty sound um, I have realised that this is this is taking on like the, the 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 cycle of chatting about stuff and at the end selling selling something. So that is oh, no, what no, we had not planned, is it? <laughs> not run to no, anyway. run to the back, run to the back quickly, and you get you get a deal. <laughs> not one um, of those. No, it's it's a, a series of good guest speakers and true industry experts, which is superb. But it's really sort of following the cycle as to why people are investing heavily into HMOs and apartment blocks at the moment, and then what they're doing with them afterwards. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, sorry. Um, also, I used to go to Pin Network and events in Manchester. That was pretty yeah. sound. Awesome, awesome. Um, Radhika, I know you, you've spoken at a few events, haven't you? Any, any that you can recommend? Um, yeah, so I go to Ted and Ted, Ted and James's um, event. I have no idea what it's called. Um, it's called um, the property event. You can't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a T-shirt as well. Um, I'm also going to um, Ranjan Bhattacharya's um, one at Baker Street on a Wednesday. I think it's the third or fourth, third Wednesday of the month. I have no idea. Just if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know what events I go to. Um, but I'm going to try and get, get to that like, one as well, Radhika. So we'll have to grab a drink beforehand. I can't remember what date it is. I don't know if I'm away or not, but. <laughs> We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, to, to be honest, all these, all these people are pretty well known anyway. Yeah, anyone that's going to an event, uh, like if you're choosing, I would just pick a couple that you go to because it can be quite overwhelming and you won't actually like action the stuff that you actually want to get done because it's like constantly overwhelmed with so many events to go to. So I would just maybe pick like, um, like a couple, like two or three in the month pick out what speakers you want, what you want to get get out of that and kind of just stick to that. Otherwise it can be overwhelming going to like every single one and not taking any action. Yeah, I, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, for me, it's about trying to maybe like go to a load, like maybe spend one or two months like testing the water and going to as many as you can. And you'll quickly see like the ones that you actually enjoyed and the ones you didn't. And then just become a regular at those particular events. That's, that would be my my sort of advice to uh, to people that are looking to, to go to these events. Um, but I'm wary that we're kind of coming to the end of our hour, believe it or not. Um, does anyone um, want to sort of chime in with any kind of comments in terms of, um, I, I, I want to get some predictions here now, guys. Everyone's telling us that the property market is going to crash, right? So should we do a quick round of, of predictions as to when the property market is potentially going to crash, if it does at all, and what are the reasons going to be behind behind that crash happening? Anyone want to anyone want brave enough to jump in with a prediction early doors? Yeah. There he is. There he is. Mr. Only Fans. <laughs> I knew Paul was going to go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm just looking at the calendar. Crash in 2024. No reason why. Just no that. Cra crash in 2024. I think realistically, it's because, as I mentioned before, supply and demand, fear and greed. You know, it's like, give it another two years. We've already had two years of, of Bartwood classes, hyper growth, but it might not be because we may have had a period like this back before I was born. I don't know. Um, but it's not looking like it's going to slow down. It's going to be based, if it's based on the public, we're not the ones driving the market at the moment. Like, you know, normal people aren't driving the market. It is actually 
the investors who are driving the market. And there's just so much more investment going to be coming in. I just don't see a crash coming realistically. If there is going to be a crash, it would be midway through 2024. But it's very, very unlikely. Um, it might be the case. Personally, I think that the UK is going to become like Germany where nobody buys their own house. They're going to rent. Um, personally, I think that's where the UK is going. So if you are in investment, get involved with your investment now. Um, you know, if you're looking to buy for yourself, probably don't. Mm-hmm. Anyone got any uh, any? I'll, um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna side with um, sort of what Ben has just said. I think maybe 2024, even 2025, 2026, and my reasoning for that is as well. Um, it, it, there's something called nutrient neutrality. Neutrality. Something to do with nitrates. Now I'm I'm still reading up about it myself. Now that has caused. Um, a lot of planning applications to be denied or put on hold. And I'm talking in the tens of thousands of them, right? So that's put a hold on um, development in, in a lot in the Northeast and a lot down South, you know, Google it. And that will effectively cause um, less homes to be built, creating a lot more demand. And that's why I can't see there being a crash. How can there be a crash with, with, with more demand? Um, uh, so it's really difficult to say, but I'm I'm thinking you know it's going to be a few more years down the line for sure for now. Radhika, any uh, any any advances on any of the other years that we've discussed? Yeah, I don't think it's happening anytime soon. I I reckon it will be like a couple of years, maybe beyond kind of twenty five, twenty six, just because of like what where everything is happening at the moment with the war, with the energy prices, like there's so much going on out there. I know um, I was literally just watching the news, literally just before I jumped on here, um, and they were talking about how like the local mayors are promising like more more housing, but whether that's affordable or not. So there's always gonna be a need for housing, um, which is why I don't kind of see it dropping anytime soon. Amy, any uh, any thoughts on the imminent property market crash? Um, just to, to second what everybody else has said, really, based on supply and demand, if we go back to basic principles, um, I just can't see that there being a crash anytime soon. So, yeah, based on that, I mean, at best, I'd push it out another three to four years. Um, but yeah, down to the basic principles, supply and demand. I can't, I can't see a crash happen happening anytime soon. So, cool, cool. Well, I'll give my my two P's worth, and then we'll we'll sort of start wrapping up. Now, I'm, I think that there's a there's an additional driver to to the property market in, as well as supply and demand, and has an influence on supply and demand. And we only have to go back about 12, 13 years to see the last time this had such a, an influence on our market. That's the availability of credit. Um, and at the moment, the availability of credit is very, very high. We've got more liquidity in our market than we ever have done in our in our recorded history, I believe. Uh, we have over a trillion pounds worth of, that, of available um, institutional money at the moment, which is insane. Um, when that money is available, it means people can get that money to buy property with. When that starts to dry up, that's when I think we're going to start seeing a, a change. And it's the reason I brought on uh, Mr. Changa's um, message on here, which is all about what do we mean by a crash? Um, do we just mean property prices dropping? I agree that I don't think we're going to see some massive, huge crash. I think it's just going to be a case of property prices dropping because the demand may well drop a little bit because, as we know, the vast majority of our, our market in terms of buyers are residential buyers. And if it's more difficult for them to get a residential mortgage, they will not move or they will look for something slightly different. But the number of people actually looking to buy will start to drop. Not so that we're creating, you know, we we don't have this supply and demand deficit. I don't think that's ever going to be going away. But I think it will drop enough to stop this mad market that we're on. And I've predicted, I've predicted, I've gone on record and said, I think in the over the next four uh, monetary policy committee meetings, which is the Bank of England uh, meetings, I think two out of the next four are going to result in a rise. And I think potentially even one more rise could be just that little bit much more than we need to create a bit of an issue when it comes to affordability for residential mortgages. And that could be just that straw that breaks the camel's back in terms of changing our market slightly. So that's my that's my mm-hmm. thoughts um, on it anyway. Um, but look, guys, any if anyone wants any sort of last minute um 
screen time just stick your hand up but otherwise we'll just start saying goodbye i, I guess um thanks ever so much for everyone for, for coming along and, and joining us thanks for everyone for watching um cheers amy paul shane radica like honestly i've had loads of fun and we've been on here one hour and three minutes and it feels like it's gone so quick it's yeah. been awesome it's all, we'll have to make yeah, it an annual event on the 4th of 4th of may every year <laughs> we'll 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 do this maybe we'll do it in person next time but um, we'll just do it for every event? every event like we'll do one for pancake day i'm happy i'm happy to do it if you guys if you guys are happy to do it <laughs> more than just, more than um, happy to let's just stick just some dates in and we'll figure it out yeah well, i think we'll do it again but just to respond to what ben said as well i'm pretty sure ben if you contact any of us on uh, social media you know we're all pretty um messageable just uh reach out if you've got any questions we're, we're all happy to help you know and spread our knowledge but yeah absolutely. absolutely we'll point you in the right direction we will indeed um but guys should we all say should we just do a little wave and say goodbye thanks ever so much guys and um yeah we'll see you all again yeah, star trek that's, yeah that's star trek that's the wrong I thing also i did, <laughs> I did actually that. have i had a star wars t-shirt on just just you know i did i did make an effort just as an fyi yeah we'll get it all completely wrong nanu nanu <laughs> right see you all later guys right, thanks you later. so much for joining us take care Yep, that's it. Thank you so much for sticking around to the end of the episode, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of the other Game of Loans podcast episodes, please, I would ask you a massive favour to leave a five-star review. It massively helps me grow the podcast and reach more people that will hopefully enjoy the episodes as much as you have. Thank you so much in advance for this, and I'll hopefully see you on the next episode.